This is a legacy episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast, originally released as part of the Lesbian Talk Show podcast group. Some references may be obsolete. The show looks at lesbian-relevant themes in history and literature, has interviews and discussions about current historical fiction with queer female characters, including fantastic versions of the past, and presents new original historical fiction for your enjoyment. Historic Motif podcast is delighted to talk to Penny Micklebury, a playwright and mystery novelist whose re- most recent book, Two Wings to Fly Away, also brings in a historic setting. Welcome, Penny. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start by having you summarize your book for our listeners? In as few words as possible, it takes place in Philadelphia in the mid-1850s as the country is moving toward the Civil War. And the primary relationship is between a black woman who is a runaway slave and a white woman who is a wealthy heiress. They meet and join forces in what is Jeannie, uh, and and Jeannie is is the, the black woman, her side occupation is being part of the Underground Railroad mm-hmm. in, in Philadelphia. And Philadelphia was, was an important stop there. Philadelphia also had, at that time, until the Runaway Slave Act, one of the largest populations of free blacks. And, and these were black people who were professionals. Uh, Jeannie, by profession, was a seamstress and, and a very good one. And as it gets tougher and tougher, not only for blacks, but for whites who helped them, it was becoming clear that things were going to have to change. And the change would not, in all likelihood, be pleasant. And what that meant for Jeannie and Abby, Abby Gail Reed, who, who is the white woman, is what now becomes of them. Mm-hmm. Because everything they're doing is <laughs> illegal <laughs> in, in every possible imagination. Uh-huh. It's illegal and it's dangerous and it puts both their lives at risk. So tell me something about your research process for the historic elements of your stories. I know that you have been a journalist professionally. Does that tie in with how you do historic research? I think it must, Heather, because I love research. And I don't know which came first, the the chicken or the egg. (laughs) I don't know whether being a reporter fed that love or whether that love pushed me into being reporting, into being a reporter. And, and it may have been the latter because in school, history was one of my favorite subjects and, and remained. I love reading history, texts as well as fiction. So to say, oh, gee, I've got to do some research here, that's kind of <laughs> like saying, oh, please don't throw me in the briar patch. Um, and what, of course, has made that process so much easier these days is the internet though i confess i love libraries i still like going 
to libraries. I always had my mother was a librarian, so that may have something to do with it. But I like the process. I like finding knowledge. So when I have to write, and whether it's Two Wings to Fly Away or the the first historical novel that I wrote, which was called Bell City, the smallest detail of that book took place in in, in Georgia. And, and you you of, lived in Georgia when you were younger, right? That is my home. Atlanta mm-hmm. is my hometown. Yeah. So there are things I knew about Georgia, but I did not know, for instance, what trees grew in Georgia in 1900, because <laughs> I'm probably older than I ever thought I would be, but <laughs> not even I was born in 1900. So in that part of Georgia, so I loved that. I loved going deep in into those kinds of things. And for two wings to fly away, Philadelphia is not my hometown. So uh-huh. I visited, I have good friends from Philadelphia, but I had to do all of the research. And I loved it. I just, so that, that is not onerous for me. <laughs> that, that's not a hard thing. The hardest thing to do, because there is not a lot of information, as I'm sure you know, and maybe you'll point me in some directions, is how women navigated their love for each other in a time and place where not only was that not unheard of, it was not tolerated. It was dangerous. And so then I had to figure out, okay, what would they have done, especially an interracial relationship? Because, you know, there's not a lot of that today. (laughs) So it's a challenge, but it's a challenge that... I don't mind. Uh-huh. It doesn't doesn't cause me hardship. Yeah, one of the things that struck me, and, and I confess I'm only a few chapters into the book at this point, but I love how you have the the everyday concrete details of the streets and the houses and which who lived in which part of town. Uh, is that something where you're getting it out of archival material or, or what? Some some of it is getting it, yes, um, out of archival material. Some of it, Heather, is just the facts of history. In 1856, when this story opens, black people and white people would not have lived in the same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. We mostly don't do that now. Yeah. And rich people and poor people did not live in the same neighborhood, no matter what color they were. Yeah. And we mostly don't do that now. So, so those things were easy. Mm-hmm. What was a bit more difficult was to find what occupations people held. Yeah, I imagine and census records are great for that. Census records are great for that. The occupations that, that people held. And for Abby Reed, for a wealthy white woman who has refused to marry, it just was not done. She got away with it mostly because her parents were dead. And so there was no one to force her into a marriage. So she just sort of decided to do what she wanted to do, which was to to use her mansion to operate a boarding house, Mm -hmm. which, of course, completely cut her off from society, which made her very happy Mm because she didn't want to be in society because she wasn't going to marry a man. So she was sort of free to do what she wanted. But even that had strictures. Mm because she could have been arrested for living in a house with nothing but men who were not related to her. By yeah, marriage. it would have been easier on her if she were a widow rather than unmarried. 
unmarried, <laughs> you know, and without all that money, because see, that's the other thing. Because yeah, money kept, always eases the way, doesn't it? Yes, you know, and men kept trying, they wanted to marry her, not because they loved her or because they thought she was beautiful, but because she had all that money. And once she was married to the man, the money became his. Uh-huh. And she was smart enough to know that. So she said, oh no, we're not doing that. So for, for, for both of them, what, what interested me was the peril, different peril, mm-hmm. but peril nonetheless, and a peril that was magnified by their attraction to each other. Although one supposes that as far as the outside world was concerned, if their relationship was unimaginable, most people would never even suspect anything. It's, oh, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Uh, the, the, the thing that the tricky things were if Jeannie agreed to live in, in the house was that she could never enter and exit through the front door. Yeah, she basically she'd have to appear as if she was a servant, right? As a servant. As a servant. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She had to appear as, as the servant. So th- there, there were all kinds of things to, to navigate. And then as things became much more touchy in, in Philadelphia and, and as, as the war noises got closer and closer, it then became very dangerous for Jeannie to even come into that part of town. Mm-hmm. You know, it was safer for her to stay in her own part of town with her own people and and, and safety was was tenuous at that point at best, but it was a lot safer than her in her horse cart going all the way across town alone to, to be with Abby. So were there particular inspirations for these characters? How did how did they come to you? How did their story come to you? You know, Heather, their story came to me as all of my stories come to me. And I and I really you know, I have I have writer friends who, who laugh at me <laughs> because they say, You mean you let the characters tell you what the story is? And it's like, Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, <laughs> they know who they who they are better than anybody else. But the real change, I was writing a story because I wanted to write an historical and I was writing a man, a, a, a black man, as a detective. And I'm wondering, it's like, how was that going to work? And in my head, I heard a voice say, it'd be a lot tougher if it was a woman. Uh, <laughs> and that was a challenge, right? <laughs> and that was it. You know, and I said, ooh, oh, yeah. And I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I knew, I said, okay, it's got to be a woman. I wanted to imagine a black woman as a detective and and what made me think that might be possible was that Harriet Tubman who was a famous escaped slave yes was a spy for the Union army during the civil war mm-hmm. so i thought okay i can make this happen and so i just had to let sit with it for a while and let the story begin to take shape and figure out who this woman because she certainly could go work for herself and by herself and gradually characters began to to present themselves not only in the form of, of abigail reed but in the form of a former pinkerton agent uh-huh. whom she helped find somebody he was looking and he realized that look for certain people he needed a black person he needed a shoe shine person and a cook and and people who could go into places and listen and hear and see that he couldn't Uh and so that that's how that notion was born 
Yeah. So you've written several contemporary mystery series, and they've they've been very somewhat varied. They had both female male protagonists, straight and queer, all focusing on people of color, which is not at all surprising. But in your bio, it says that you're really excited to have a chance to write more historical fiction. So I'm, I'm curious about the, the difference for you between writing contemporaries and writing historicals. I suppose the, the, the biggest difference is the preparation for it. Is, is preparing to write an historical means that I have to have so many facts at hand before I start. And with contemporaries, facts, of, of course, are important, but they're, they're not foreign to me. Yeah. I, I know generally where we're going and, and what we're doing. And, and before I write the historical, because there is a sequel to this one, two weeks oh, good. right away. There's a lot of research that I have to do because now the outbreak of the Civil War is upon us. Uh-huh. So I really do have to go dig deep to get those details and what that would have been like and how it would have affected all of the people who are now important to this book, who, who, who the, the main characters are, because every one of them will be affected by the, the outbreak and they will be affected differently. Uh-huh. That's, that's the main thing. But writing stories is, and, and I, I'm lucky and I know I am, is not a difficult thing. Stories present themselves, characters present themselves, and I let characters talk to me. Uh-huh. Um, I like to say that I'm probably one of the few people who can admit to hearing voices and not end up in a straitjacket in an institution somewhere. Hearing voices and talking to the air has become a lot less socially unacceptable since the advent of earbuds and cell phones. That's true. That's true. Yeah, because I, they're always talking to me, and I'm always listening, and, and I do sometimes talk back, but I try to only do that in the privacy of my own home. So you touched on this a little bit earlier, and I haven't yet gotten to the the romantic parts of the book. Uh, So no spoilers, no spoilers. But can you tell me a bit about how you approached the same-sex romance aspects of the plot? Their recognition that something happened when they were in each other's company. Mm -hmm. And I had to be very much aware of the fact that there was no language for what was happening and there was no precedent for it. Although women knew that attractions between women existed, but it was not discussed. It, it was not a thing that that anybody talked about. And so they didn't they didn't have a they didn't have a roadmap. They, they they didn't know what to do, where to go with it. They just knew that it existed and that they had to do something about it. That mm-hmm. they couldn't ignore it. They couldn't pretend that that it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. So my challenge was to to figure out how to make it real and acceptable. Uh-huh. And each of them had a friend that they trusted enough to talk to about. Uh-huh. I imagine that works very but, well but as a literary friend, device, too. <laughs> oh, absolutely. But, but the friends did not have any specific knowledge. I mean, they, they couldn't give them any pointers uh-huh. <laughs> you know, on, on what to do. They didn't know. They just knew that it existed. And what they both knew was that you are wise to keep this secret between the two of you. Uh-huh. 
it's not safe for the world to know that you have these feelings for each other. Not only that you have feelings for another woman, but that one of you is black and one of you is white. That will get both of you take to the hangman's noose. <laughs> Yeah, I imagine that would be the, the more dire aspect of that if people knew. In the research I do for my blog, I you know, I confess that I tend to not focus a lot on U.S. history because of my own interests. But there is one article that I ran across that fits very nicely in with this book that the readers may want to go back and look at. Sorry, the, the listeners may want to go back and look at which is about two black women in just barely post-Civil War times uh, based on their correspondence with each other who were in love. They clearly had some sort of, you know, physical erotic relationship. Their families talked about how that, you know, that they were the equivalent of married. Now, one of them did end up marrying a man for pragmatic reasons eventually. It's very unexpected in, in many of the aspects of the relationship that comes out in those letters, that people might not have had language to talk about it, but they sort of figured out that, that this was the thing and maybe it was even okay. I certainly would like to see that. Yeah, I, um, one it, of my early podcasts I did on, on that, that article, and uh, I will definitely send you uh, pointers to it. Um, please do, please do. I'd, I'd like to see that. I'd like to know... Who the, who the women were, and you say this was post Civil War. Yeah, so one of the one of them was from a, a fairly educated family, and she went down into the South to teach the after the war, you know, to teach in black schools, which of course itself was a fairly dangerous thing. And the other one was more from a working class family, and they they met in the North, and I don't remember. It might have been Philadelphia. I, I'm not remembering the details at the moment, um, but they were based, you know, in the north. And uh, it's, as I say, it's fascinating. And they, the, the key thing is not only did they write letters to each other talking about their relationship, but the letters were preserved. And then someone found them in an archive and said, hey, wow. I'd, lo- I'd love to know more about that. Yes, absolutely. I'll send, you, I'll send you a copy of the article. Please do. Thank you. So... Getting back to the idea of the relationships, that both in this book, and, and you're saying it's a series now, and that, that's fabulous. Well, it will be. It will be. <laughs> yes, just not a whole series. And, um, but I, I, I think two books only because I am not a scholar. I'm mm-hmm. not an historian. And I would have to stop this book at the outbreak <laughs> of the Civil War because... I have no facility for really writing the truth about the war. Uh-huh. I just that is such a huge, huge, as, as you know, uh, undertaking, and I just I wouldn't begin to know how to do that. So I'm going to take them up to the outbreak of the war, and without uh, any spoilers, just just know that we will we will get to the war. Uh-huh. And that's 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 where that stops. But I'm already in my head thinking of where to go after this with the historical angle. And and let me say that I am I feel so free to do this because I am so blessed 
to be published by Bywater Books, and they are so supportive. Those are they are such fabulous women. So when I say things like, "Well, you know, I think I want to do uh, some more historicals after this because I really <laughs> like doing this, but I want to continue with my Mimi Jana mysteries," and their response is, "Go for it." Uh-huh. And that just is so, that is so freeing and so liberating and also so encouraging that they have that kind of faith in me because right now in my head, this is just what I want to do. But I am loving these historicals. I love putting myself in somebody else's time and space and even constraining myself a little bit um, because I, I can only imagine what it must have felt like because I can't know. And quite frankly, some of these things, I don't want to know. I yeah. really don't want to have firsthand knowledge of, of what that was. I'm, I'm glad that I don't have firsthand knowledge of, of what that must have felt like. So I, I'm thinking about you know, your target readership for these, because you mentioned your Mimi and Gianna mystery series, which is contemporary. And that one features uh, queer women. It, I, I won't say they're, uh, they're a couple because it isn't clear to me from the synopses that they ever end up being a couple as opposed to just... Oh, they are. They oh, are Okay, okay they are. Okay. Uh, but your other series um, are not about queer characters. And, and I'm thinking, you know, do you see your work as a unified whole in terms of your readership? Are you ex- do you have people who, who basically read everything that you write or are you seeing them as having different target readerships? I am fortunate enough to have people who will read whatever I write. I'm very fortunate <laughs> in that regard. But, you know, have, I, the, the Mimi Jana series was my first mystery series. Uh-huh. And then I wrote the Carol Ann Gibson mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Carol Ann is a criminal defense attorney and who, who is not queer. Yeah. And my objective then... And now is to not leave any woman behind. Uh-huh. I am interested in telling women's stories. I had a, a book out earlier this year before Two Wings to Fly Away, um, a collection of short stories published by BLF Press called God's Will and Other Lies. Uh-huh. And it is a collection of short stories all about women of a certain age who, and, and I know this because I am now of a certain age, and it's, you just are invisible to the world. They don't see you. You, mm. you cease to exist. I had to really get sort of snippy, and, and I don't really <laughs> like losing my temper, but, but I will if I have to, with my physician, young fellow, uh, my orthopedic surgeon, and I was having some, some problems, some pain. Um, I had a knee replacement. And he kept looking at x-rays, telling me, well, you know, everything looks fine. I said, I'm telling you, everything is not fine. And after several visits to him, I I said, look, I've got a problem, and you're going to tell me what it is. Because I'm tired of you telling me I don't have a problem. Yeah. And it's as if he heard me for the first time. I've been talking to him for the better part of a year, but I had to get snarky. Yeah. To hear me. <laughs> you have to say, and, look, and I know my body. <laughs> exactly. And and I'm not interested in living in pain. I'm not interested in pain management. I'm interested in finding out what the problem is and what we're going to do to fix it. Yeah. And all of a sudden now he can hear me. 
<laughs> but he never heard me when I was being polite. And I'm so certain that a lot of that has to do with the fact that, that he's in his head going, it's like, well, you know, what is it you need to do? I said, I got a life, dude. And, and it does involve sitting around in a rocking chair. That, that's not my life. It's not what I'm about. I have things to do, places to go. And, and he's a nice fellow. And I'm sure he's a wonderful surgeon. But he couldn't get why it's important to me to be able to walk without pain and to be able to go places and do stuff. I can see how that ties in with the title of the collection, God's Will and Other Lies. And Other Lies, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, it's we're raised to believe in, and fortunately, I, I, I suppose we're the first generation to maybe not be our parents' generation. But retirement, for me, just meant I could leave the job that paid me every week and spend full time on my writing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, that didn't mean that I'm going to sit at home and, I don't know, do nothing all day. It just meant that now I can write all day, <laughs> every day, as, as opposed to having to steal a few hours here and a few hours there. But I still want to go where I, where I want to go and do what I want to do. And it's not God's will or anybody else's that at a certain age I go sit down. Yeah, so my, my notes on that collection, I, I was only going by the, the description, but, but that sort of covers various dates during the 20th century. Is some of it uh, earlier or? No, no. No, no. no it's, okay, so it's contemporary. Yeah, it's contemporary. Okay. It goes back into the 20th century as we go back into the lives of these okay. women. But most of them, most of these women are 60s to 70s and are dealing with different aspects of aging. We've already talked about your new project, um, which is the, the sequel to this book. Okay, let me, let me add one thing for new projects. I am currently working on the sixth Amy Jana novel. Uh-huh. There are five of them so far, and I'm working on number six, which will also be published by Bywater Books. Mm-hmm. That will be published next year, 2020. And then the sequel to Two Wings to Fly Away will be scheduled, I think, for 2021. Great. I love Bywater Books. If people wanted to follow you on social media, where can they find you? They can find me on Instagram. I have a Twitter account. I have a Facebook account. I am not the best at staying up to date daily on these things, but I'm there. And you have a website. And I have a website, which is sadly not up to date, but I'm going to work on that too. (laughs) And I can be reached on my email, mysteries at pennymickleberg.com. Okay, great. So I'll put links to those. And, and I, I do try to answer all emails. Again, not every day, but I will, I will respond. Thank you so much for sharing your time with the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. Thank you, Heather. It's been a real pleasure. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Lesbian Historic Motif podcast. See the show notes for links to people and topics. Most shows will have a transcript linked as well. If you have a book announcement, a topic suggestion, or might like to appear on the show, please drop me an email. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it and subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and consider supporting our Patreon 